we're seeing some life change. And I love that we're seeing life change from every age today, different backgrounds, different colors. I mean, it's, it's the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And there should be this intersection that happens and it's happening here at Westridge Church. And I'm so excited to be a part of it. And I hope you are too, for all that God is doing. We give him all the praise. We're so thankful. And Easter is coming. Come on, Easter is coming. And let me tell you, I know we've got some people that started spring break this week, and uh, we'll have that for the next couple of weeks. Different people that come to Westridge will, will be on break. But when it comes to Easter weekend, no one is on break. And let me tell you why this is a big deal. Pastor Brian's going to talk about this later. But that means there are no excuses for not coming Easter Sunday. There's no excuses. And so there's this tremendous opportunity. We can't use a schedule as an excuse. We can't use anything else. We don't need to have any excuses as Christ followers for not inviting people. We don't want to give them another excuse for not to come because we didn't ask them. And so this year, for the first time in many years, tremendous opportunity. No other breaks, nothing up against it. Just the entire community focused on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What a great opportunity we have as a church. We have, um, <clears throat> we like to group our, our teachings and things, even as we go through books of the Bible, different passages, and we're starting a character study today. We like to group them in series so that you can talk about them, so that you can invite other people to them and, and maybe understand a little bit of what's coming. We're beginning a series today in the book of Judges, Judges chapter six and seven, and, and we're starting a series called No More Excuses. Since the year began, we, we began the year with a series called Rescue Mission, which is all about God's rescue plan for us, how he sent Jesus to be our rescue, and he sent Jesus to rescue us from sin, from guilt, from pride, from shame, from materialism, from status quo living, from all kinds of things, from whatever it is, God sent his son Jesus to be our rescue. And then we moved into our series called Who Told You That? And, and we talked about the lies that have maybe penetrated our hearts over the years, things we didn't even realize, things that are subtle. And the enemy is so subtle and so crafty and just trying to take us off course a little bit. Lies like, you know what, you can lose your salvation or, or lies like God will not give you more than you can handle or you can't really change. And we've replaced all of those things with truth. And so as we approach Easter, we thought, you know, we've talked about a lot of reasons that people don't follow God. We've talked about a lot of reasons that people don't go all in. We've had a lot of tremendous truth. We've seen a lot of life change. We've seen God do some tremendous things in people's hearts and lives. And even if we haven't talked specifically about your issue, I'm sure that because we're preaching the truth of God's word, we've, we've mentioned something that impacts you, something that can help you become more like Jesus Christ, more fully, a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. I know it's gotta be true for you because it's, it's true for me, that when we open this book, my life continues to be changed. But at some point, if you're ever going to truly experience the abundant life journey of Jesus Christ that, that, Jesus, that God sent his son Jesus to die for, at some point, we have to stop thinking about all the reasons why we don't go all in, all the reasons why we, why we end up holding back at different times. At some point, we just have to say, you know what? With no more excuses, I'm going to live for God no matter what. With no more excuses, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. I'm not going to wait till I feel like I have every I dotted and, and every T crossed I'm, and, or that I'm going to learn. I'm not going to wait till I learn everything that I need to learn till I get more knowledge. I'm just going to go all in with no more excuses. That's what we're going to start talking about today because listen, at some point we have to make a decision that in response to God's grace 
and presence and the victory we have because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus that we will live for him without excuse. No more apologies, no more excuses. No more excuses for not making room to open up our Bibles and to read the truths of God's word. No more excuses for not making the time to to pray and to speak to God. No more excuses for not making room to to talk about the things of God and to lead our families well. No no longer using reasons like our schedule or or the things we do and don't know about the Bible or even our past sins or, or present struggles or anything else. I mean, there will always be someone to tell you why you can't. There will always be someone to tell you that you are not good enough, that that you don't have what it takes. There will always be whispers from the enemy of the Christ follower. But listen, that's all he can do is whisper. Because the scriptures teach us that greater is he that is in us for the follower of Jesus Christ than he that is in the world. So we must become absolutely resolute to not let any of the enemy's whispers stall us out on our journey. Do not allow anything to hold us back. There will always be people telling you, you can't, you're not good enough. I saw a story uh, before the Super Bowl a couple months ago that really encapsulated this to me. I thought it was great. I just wanted to share it and we'll talk about it for a moment. Have a look on screens. They told me it couldn't be done, that I was a lost cause. I was picked on and picked last. Coaches didn't know how to talk to me. They gave up on me. Told me I should just quit. And the last bit is... They didn't call my name. Told me it was over. But I've been deaf since I was three. So I didn't listen. And now I'm here with the loudest fans in the NFL cheering me on. And I can hear them all. They told me I was a lost cause. But I've been deaf since I was three, so I didn't listen. I love that. Because I I serve the God of lost causes. I serve the God who loves to bend down and rescue those that no one believes can be rescued. No more excuses, no more apologies, just daily responding to the grace of God. We're gonna take these three weeks leading up to Easter and look at the life of a man identified as one of God's heroes, a man by the name of Gideon. And I'm gonna be talking about, I'm gonna be talking through about the first 35 verses or so of Judges chapter six, kind of jumping around this morning. But in the book of Hebrews, the author tells a story or gives us a picture of some of the greatest heroes in scripture. Stories of people like Abraham and Jacob and Moses. Those are the ones that, that Spielberg makes movies about. And then he, the author then rattles off some other names that Hollywood hasn't quite gotten to yet. And Hebrews eleven thirty two says this, what more shall I say, this author says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign ar- armies to flight. There's a list of people 
in Hebrews chapter 11, there, there are many, many more who are used in extraordinary ways by God. But that does not mean that they started out as extraordinary people. It doesn't mean that they didn't try to use every excuse and crutch in the book. They're common, ordinary people. They're farmers, shepherds, flawed, but all used by an all-powerful God. And Gideon is just such an ordinary man. Mentioned there in Hebrews 11, his story is in Judges chapter 6. You'll see the first encounter we have with, with Gideon in the story is he's not leading an army or doing anything spectacular. In fact, he's a farmer in hiding. Judges chapter 6 verse 11 says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which, be, which belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Gideon is just doing his very best on this day trying to complete the harvest. He's having a a pretty routine day, but this is no routine encounter even by biblical standards. There's a few times in the Bible where someone is is visited by the angel of the Lord. Now the word angel means messenger. They bring messages to God's people throughout the scriptures, but the phrase the angel of the Lord, the way this is used in this passage is only used seven times in the scriptures. And in these cases, it seems that it's actually more than an angel, but an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. And that is what the early Christian church fathers took this moment to be. Actually, Jesus coming to visit this ordinary man, Gideon. But regardless of whether or not this is Jesus or Michael the archangel or or Gabriel or Clarence from the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, whatever this is, Gideon has had an out-of-the-ordinary guest. And this guest knew where to look for him in a place where no one else would. It's the time of the wheat harvest. And typically the wheat harvest happens outside, maybe by the road, and and you pick the wheat up and you toss it into the air and because of its weight, the chaff blows away and and the wheat falls to the ground. But Gideon is not outside threshing the wheat in a common place. Rather, he's hiding in a wine press in the place where you would smash the grapes from your vineyard. He's a farmer and hiding. Why is this? Well, let's look at how this chapter begins. Judges 6 verse 1 says this. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Throughout the book of Judges, you see this type of phrase used, the people of Israel were doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And whenever the the people of God choose to go apart from the way of God, God will let them go. He will allow us to make that choice and to walk away from him. And for the last seven years now, at this particular period in, in the children of Israel's history, there have been people from the land of Midian, and the chapter also tells us that there are some Amalekites involved that have been coming more than you can count. They have been sending people and camels, and they have been coming at the time of harvest to rob the people of all their work. So if you can imagine, you work hard, you plow the field, you sow the seed, you pray for rain, you you pull the weeds, and then at the time when all of that is about to pay off, someone comes in, and steals the fruit of your labor. They take the crop. This has been going on for seven years. After 40 years of calm, this has been going on for seven years. And the people have taken to hiding out in caves out of fear and trying to keep just a little bit of what they need. The people of God have become more afraid of their enemies than they are of God. They've seen miracles. They've been delivered. But yet they drift back into old habits. Maybe you can relate to this. 
Has there ever been a time in your life where you were sure that you were living apart from God? And maybe at some point you started to regret it. Maybe you've thought, you know what, I know better. I've seen God answer prayer in my life. I have stories in my family of things that God has done, but I just can't seem to get it together right now. There's just too much else getting in the way. Ever just decided, you know, I'll just, I'm just gonna shrink back a little bit. I'm just gonna go into hiding and I'm only gonna come out when I feel like it's absolutely necessary. And for years at Westridge Church, we've heard stories just like this from people who maybe were in church as a child when they were taken by a family member or as a, as a teenager. But then you got into your 20s and just thought, you know what, I just can't do this right now. I mean, I have stories of God, but I've got stuff to do. And so you just go into hiding. And looking at the life of Gideon, we learned that one of the primary things that pushes him into hiding is fear. Not necessarily fear like fright or terror, but fear that he will miss out on something that the world has to offer. The Midianites and the Amalekites in scripture were, they were real people groups with real armies, but they're also symbolic of the world and the enemy of God. And caring more about what the enemy of God can do to you or sometimes for you ultimately leads to a life of just getting by. It leads to a stagnant, ineffective Christian life. You could say it this way, Gideon has more fear of the world than he does a fear or reverence of God. And everyone's feeling this way. And at the beginning of Judges 6, the people finally get to the point where they've had enough of their crops being stolen. They've had enough of this oppression. They've had enough of, of the result of their own choices. And they decide to cry out to God. Now, what happens when God's people finally get to this point? Well, King David could relate to this. And in Psalm 34, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be put to shame. He says, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. The people cry out to God after these seven years of oppression. They may not even realize it yet, but God begins to move. And shortly after the people cry out, an angel of the Lord visits Gideon, the farmer, hiding in the wine press. And verse 12 says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, please, sir, if the Lord is with this, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian, hiding in the wine press. And the angel of the Lord calls him by the meaning of his name. The angel of the Lord reminds him of who he's supposed to be. The angel of the Lord reminds him of, of how he's supposed to live. And he calls him mighty warrior, man of valor. The name Gideon means mighty warrior or destroyer. Now, I don't know how big a boy he is, but I know that he was called to be tough. Someone had a vision for him in the future to be, a, to be a mighty man of God. Someone raised him to be that and here he is hiding. When the message comes, what does Gideon do? Yeah, that's it, that's me, mighty man of valor. Thanks for, thanks for remembering that. No one's called me that in a long time. I'm in here hiding and no one recognizes who I am, what, no, but rather he just pushes it off. And he says, seriously, are you talking to me? I mean, I've heard the stories 
but those are the stories of my grandparents. Those are the stories of just the good old days, and I'm not in that story. So the message from the angel of the Lord continues. And the Lord said to him, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. It's like these these two people are having a conversation. Nobody's listening to one another. The angel of God has a message for Gideon, and he repeats it. And Gideon puts it off, and he makes excuse after excuse after excuse. And despite his excuses, the angel of God says, for I am sending you. It's like Gideon missed it the first time when he's called mighty man of valor. It's like he, he just can't accept that right now. He even kind of responds with, listen, I, I just, I just, I, I can't, this doesn't resonate. This is not today. I mean, I, I brought the weed in, into the wine press and you might have noticed I'm, I'm, I'm in hiding here. I'm just trying to hide out so I can hang on to just a little bit of what I've been working so hard for. And, and I love this one. Maybe you can relate to this. He said, by the way, do you know anything about my family? I mean, my people are crazy. I mean, there's no way that I can be used by God. I mean, if you were to come to one of my family reunions, you might say, listen, okay, we're going to move on to someone else because there's a little bit more crazy here than the typical family, more than we bargained for. He said, listen, we're just weak. I'm not the guy for this. And how does the angel of the Lord, how does God respond with his message to all of these excuses? He says to him, but I will be with you. It reminds me of Jesus standing on the Mount of Olives 40 days after his resurrection. At this moment before he's about to ascend to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. Matthew 28 recounts it. And I want to start in verse 17. I want you to make sure your eyes go to verse 17 and don't jump to verse 18 too quickly. It says this. And when they saw him, Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to, him, said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And listen, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This passage of scripture is known as the Great Commission. It's it's some of the last things that Jesus said to his disciples. I mean, it's this, it's this powerful statement. And typically we jump right to verse 18. We jump right to the statement. We, Jesus, yeah, go, I'll go into the world. And in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I, 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 we've got this. We're going and we're going to charge. But do you understand who he's talking to? Before all of that, he is talking to a group of people who are doubting him. Even as they worship him. I mean, that's legit. Have you ever done that? The Lord is my rock and I won't be afraid, but I'm a little afraid. I'm so glad he's called me out. Yeah, he's he's called me out. I hope he's not calling me out beyond like this moment. This is good, but I just want to kind of stay in right here. Worshiping and doubting. It reminds me of the the man who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus, in response to their doubt, as he gives this commission, he says, go. 
I will be with you. What he really says is, as you go, I will be with you. Every moment of every day. What are you afraid of more than you are afraid of God? Because that thing is your excuse for why you're not living for him in the way that he has called you, for why you're not experiencing the abundant life in the way that he wants you to experience it. What is it? Is it, where does the doubt come from? Is there uncertainty? Distrust? I mean, think about it. Is there something that you're trusting in more than you trust in God? Is there something in your life that maybe is tangible that you can see that you say, you know what, because of that, I'm more certain of this thing than I am of God. And I just don't know that I can put my attention on, on the unseen and do something that out of the box that God's put in my heart. What do you fear more than you fear of more than you fear God? Is it a perception? Is it what other people will think? Is it ridicule? Are you worried you're going to be called a hypocrite? Is it, you know, listen, I, maybe you'd say, yeah, I've lived in this community my whole life. I've lived in Northwest Atlanta. I went to South Cobb High School. I went to Paulding County High School. You know what? There's a lot of people in this community. They know too much about what I was like then. And if I come out and I say, I'm living for God now, there's going to be a lot of people going, yeah, sure. All right, try that for a while. Good luck with that. We'll see on Facebook how this blows up. What are you afraid of? Too many people know about your past or maybe too many people know about your present struggles. When God gives Gideon this second charge, go I will be with you. He's saying, listen, there is nothing you have to be afraid of that's greater than me. On every level, Gideon feels like he is not good enough. But sooner or later, we have to declare that in response to God's grace and presence and the victory we have because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus, that we will live for him without excuse. No more excuses. No more apologies. The Bible teaches us that every single one of us can be used by God. The Bible teaches that every single one of us have been called by God, even for the things that you have today that are already on your plate. First Corinthians chapter 7 verse 17, the apostle Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them and to which God has called them. This is my rule in all the churches. So are you a mom today or a wife? That is your assignment today. Say, what am I supposed to do? Do that to the best of your ability, to the glory of God and make room for God to help you be the best mom and wife you can possibly be. Are you a dad today? Are you a husband today? Then that's your assignment today. To lead your family as the best you can, to depend on God's help, to lead your family closer and closer to the Savior. What is your assignment today? Are you a teacher? Are you a businessman or a businesswoman? Are you a, a lawyer, a, a student? Are you a farmer? Whatever it is, whatever it is that you do, you have been called to greatness. And every day and everything that you do is filled with divine potential. That should change today. That should change Monday. Everything that you do, everything that you put your hand to is filled with divine potential. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, 
here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. You have been called to live out your assignment filled by the Holy Spirit and not live in hiding. Because you are not first and foremost your job. You are not first and foremost your t- any title that's given to you or, or what you accomplish. You are first and foremost a child of God. Philippians 4 says, the Apostle Paul says, listen, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now stop, just wait. Some of you know the next verse. Some of you are reading your Bibles going, "Ah, you have to read that one. That's big. For some of you, the next verse is like the anthem of your life. It's the verse that reminds us that all things are possible, that God gives us strength for every. But listen, beyond just the big, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter four, he's he's not talking about big. He's talking about today. He's talking about everyday life, the everyday and the mundane. That's where the Christian life begins. And then he says, and you, you, if, if you're thinking it, you're waiting for it, if you need to say it along with me, you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can pack the lunches. I can do the laundry. I can clean the bathrooms. You didn't think this verse was for that, did you? You thought God wanted you to like start a church or a nonprofit somewhere. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's great. Just get through today and then we'll see what happens. Through an everyday life, No matter how the enemy comes against you, no matter how he whispers and tries to stop you, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. And it's in that everyday faithfulness that God loves to say, as you go, I will be with you. The scriptures say that God looks to strengthen those whose hearts are bent toward him. And there's a pattern throughout the scriptures that for those who are faithful with a little, God will entrust with more. And as you are faithful with little, it's very possible that a moment will come to where God wants to trust you with something extraordinary. Maybe it's already come at some point. But what will you do when that moment comes? What will you do when it's a little moment in your home? What will you do when it's a big moment? When God says, there's the the mountain, go climb it. What will you do? Will you look for a crutch? Will you look for a way to remain comfortable? Or will you allow God for a season to stretch you like a rubber band and launch you out? And those moments when God wants to call you out of hiding, how will you respond to him? Have you got space for that? Have you got faith for that? Have you got confidence in God for that? It may be something so simple, like volunteering to be a team member at the church in in kids ministry or in student ministry impact the life of a child on Sunday morning or or on Wednesday night. God may call you out to give financially to the church or to a kingdom cause beyond what you've ever done before. He may call you to to go overseas for a week. He may call you to go to to Cuba or to Burkina Faso or, or Guatemala. It may be this. I mean, and for all of us, I think there's some element of this. It may be that he wants you just to walk across the yard to your neighbor that deserves to be told about the love of God, that deserves to have that love demonstrated to them or at least invited to come to church so they can hear about it here. One thing I know for sure, that for those walking with God, 
every day is teeming with divine potential. And we need to live in a state of readiness, not ready to give an excuse, but ready to respond to the grace of God. Oswald Chambers said it this way, when God comes in these moments, here's here's how you gotta be ready to respond. He says, be reckless immediately, totally unrestrained and willing to risk everything by casting your all upon him. You do not know when his voice will come to you, but whenever the realization of God comes, even in the faintest way imaginable, be determined to recklessly abandon yourself, surrendering everything to him. It is only through abandonment of yourself and your circumstances that you will recognize him. And you can do it if you believe that God is with you, then no excuse will hold you back. God says through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43, he says, don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name, mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am God, your personal God, the holy of Israel, your savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich Cush and Seba thrown in, that's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. So don't be afraid. I am with you. In response to God's grace and presence. Yeah. In response to God's grace and presence. And the victory we have because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We need to be willing to live for him without excuse. No more excuses. No more apologies. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be walking through the life of a very ordinary man who becomes a hero with stories that perhaps you've heard before, many of which I think you're going to have heard before the next couple of weeks. A man who was mentioned again later in Hebrews 11. There's some big moments coming up. And Gideon has been visited by the angel of the Lord. And it's pretty amazing to me how he responds. So the angel is listening to Gideon and Gideon is just not connecting. He's making these excuses. And the angel says, why don't you go get us something to eat? And so Gideon goes and he gets a goat and he kills it and and, and cooks it. And he gets some flatbread and he makes that up and, and he brings it back. And the angel of the Lord says, why don't you put that on this rock right here? So he, he puts the bread and the, and the meat on the rock and the angel says, pour the broth over top of the rock. So he pours the broth over top of the rock. And then this angel of the Lord, or perhaps an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, reaches out with a staff and incinerates the rock. And Gideon's like, whoa, hang on. There may be something else going on here. Congratulations, Gideon. 22 verses in, you just woke up. And Gideon perceived, verse 22, that this was an angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, you guys are laughing. It's okay. It's okay to laugh at the heroes every once in a while. And he said, alas, I perceive. Oh, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Yeah, awesome. You're ready to go, right? And so the angel of the Lord gives Gideon an assignment. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go rip down the idols of the false God. Here's how I want you to do it. And so Gideon gets ready 
to obey, but I want you to see what happens. This is so important. Verse 27 says this, but because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. He obeyed, but he's not quite the bold, mighty man of valor yet, which is why I'm looking forward to the next couple of Sundays. That's why I hope you will too, to see what else God does in his life. But can I tell you something? He started somewhere. There's still a little check in the back of his mind. I mean, he's worshiping, but he's doubting, but he's deciding, you know what? I'm going to obey because now I'm seeing this right in front of me. I mean, God has just incinerated the goat and the rock and I'm still hungry and that didn't work out, but I've seen things. I've seen God face to face. I've had a sign. And maybe you've been saying, God, I'll, I'll do this, but I need a sign. And so you've come to church today and I hate to say it, but I might be your sign. I mean, God maybe has, has been calling and challenging you for, I had, I had a young lady come to me after the first service and said, you know what? God put something on my heart before you start speaking. And I wondered why I was thinking about that in church. And then later on, I figured it out. And now I'm gonna go do this with all my might. I don't know what God is calling you to today. And I don't know what you've been more afraid of than you are of God. But I can tell you this, wherever you are, if you will just take a step, just begin today, even if you don't feel like you have all the knowledge you need, even if you, whatever it is, if you will just take a step, I can promise you this, God will be with you. No more excuses, no more apologies. Let's pray together. Today, as we begin this series, I don't know if you walk in here and, and thought about this ahead of time or maybe it's just a light bulb that the Spirit of God has helped go off, but you said, yeah, I, I've had some excuses. I've had some things that are holding me back. I've had some things that have prevented me from being all in the way we've talked about before. I'm still kind of dancing around the edges of the God thing and of following Jesus and becoming more like Him. And you know what? I'm deciding today, even though I don't have it all figured out, no more excuses. I'm going forward with this. I don't even know what this looks like. I'm gonna follow God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read his word. I'm gonna pray to the best of my ability. I was talking to my small group this last week and just some very honest people in our small group who just say, you know, we, we don't really know how to pray yet. We don't really know how to read the Bible, but they're just saying, we're getting in. And I think God loves it when we trust him enough to figure it out as we go. He is with us. There's nowhere you can go apart from him. So whatever he's put on your heart, whoever it is he's put on your heart to talk to, know that he is with you. Whatever it is he's called you to do in the everyday and the mundane, know that he is with you. He's with you. Maybe you're here today and you've been making excuses for years about why you have not crossed the line of faith and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. No more excuses. Know that God will forgive you from whatever is holding you back any past present sin. Today, in your own words, if you would cross the line of faith, you might just say, God, today I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I believe you sent him to rescue me from my sins, and that he died for me, and that he's been risen from the dead. And today, I trust all of that. That's all I know. I don't really know anything else, but I know that much to be true. Today, God, would you save me? If you pray that today, I want you, I want you to know you become a adopted child of God if 
if you do, we want to help you as a church. We want to help you get started right. Would you come down afterwards and talk to one of our life care volunteers or take the card that you received as you were walking in, that Get Connected card, and take it to the Help Center today. We'd love to have the chance to pray with you. God, in every area of our lives, from what you've already rescued us from and what you're continuing to rescue us from day by day, we say no more excuses. We will follow you no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen.